chapter two of elizabethan sea dogs by william wood this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two henry the eighth king of the english sea the leading pioneers in the age of discovery were sons of italy spain and portugal cabot as we have seen was an italian though he sailed for the english crown and had an english crew columbus too was an italian though in the service of the spanish crown it was the portuguese vasco da gama who in the very year of john cabot's second voyage fourteen hundred and ninety eight found the great sea route to india by way of the cape of good hope two years later the corderials also portuguese began exploring the coasts of america as far northwest as labrador twenty years later again the portuguese magellan sailing for the king of spain discovered the strait still known by his name passed through it into the pacific and reached the philippines there he was killed but one of his ships went on to make the first circumnavigation of the globe a feat which redounded to the glory of both spain and portugal meanwhile in fifteen hundred and thirteen the spaniard balboa had crossed the isthmus of panama and waded into the pacific sword in hand to claim it for the king then came the spanish explorers ponce de leon de soto coronado and many more and later on the conquerors and founders of new spain cortez pizarro and their successors during all this time neither france nor england made any lodgment in america though both sent out a number of expeditions both fished on the cod banks of newfoundland and each had already marked out her own sphere of influence the portuguese were in brazil the spaniards in south and central america england by right of the bristol voyages claimed the eastern coasts of the united states and canada france in virtue of cartier's discovery the region of the st lawrence but while new spain and new portugal flourished in the sixteenth century new france and new england were yet to rise in the sixteenth century both france and england were occupied with momentous things at home france was torn with religious wars tudor england had much work to do before any effective english colonies could be planted oversea dominions are nothing without sufficient sea-power naval and mercantile to win to hold and foster them but tudor england was gradually forming those naval and merchant services without which there could have been neither british empire nor united states henry the eighth had faults which have been trumpeted about the world from his own day to ours but of all english sovereigns he stands foremost as the monarch of the sea young handsome learned exceedingly accomplished gloriously strong in body and in mind henry mounted the throne in fifteen hundred and nine with the hearty good will of nearly all his subjects before england could become the mother country of an empire overseas she had to shake off her mediaeval weaknesses become a strong unified modern state and arm herself against any probable combination of hostile foreign states happily for herself and for her future colonists henry was richly endowed with strength and skill for his task with one hand he welded england into political unity crushing disruptive forces by the way with the other he gradually built up a fleet the like of which the world had never seen he had the advantage of being more independent of parliamentary supplies than any other sovereign 
from his thrifty father he had inherited what was then an almost fabulous sum nine million dollars in cash from what his friends call the conversion and his enemies the spoliation of church property in england he obtained many millions more moreover the people as a whole always rallied to his call whenever he wanted other national resources for the national defence henry's unique distinction is that he effected the momentous change from an ancient to a modern fleet this supreme achievement constitutes his real title to the lasting gratitude of english-speaking peoples his first care when he came to the throne in fifteen hundred and nine was for the safety of the broad ditch as he called the english channel his last great act was to establish in fifteen hundred forty six the office of the admiralty and marine affairs during the thirty-seven years between his accession and the creation of this navy board the pregnant change was made king henry loved a man he had an unerring eye for choosing the right leaders he delighted in everything to do with ships and shipping he mixed freely with naval men and merchant skippers visited the dockyards promoted several improved types of vessels and always befriended fletcher of rye the shipwright who discovered the art of tacking and thereby revolutionized navigation nor was the king only a patron he invented a new type of vessel himself and thoroughly mastered scientific gunnery he was the first of national leaders to grasp the full significance of what could be done by broadsides fired from sailing ships against the mediaeval type of vessel that still depended more on oars than on sails henry's maritime rivals were the two greatest monarchs of continental europe francis i of france and charles v of spain henry francis and charles were all young all ambitious and all exceedingly capable men henry had the fewest subjects charles by far the most francis had a compact kingdom well situated for a great european land power henry had one equally well situated for a great european sea power charles ruled vast dominions scattered over both the new world and the old the destinies of mankind turned mostly on the rivalry between these three protagonists and their successors charles v was heir to several crowns he ruled spain the netherlands the kingdom of the two sicilies and important principalities in northern italy he was elected emperor of germany he owned enormous overseas dominions in africa and the two americas soon became new spain he governed each part of his european dominions by a different title and under a different constitution he had no fixed imperial capital but moved about from place to place a legitimate sovereign everywhere and for the most part a popular one as well it was his son philip the second who failing of election as emperor lived only in spain concentrated the machinery of government in madrid and became so unpopular elsewhere charles had been brought up in flanders he was genial in the flemish way and he understood his various states in the netherlands which furnished him with one of his main sources of revenue another much larger source of revenue poured in its wealth to him later on in rapidly increasing volume from north and south america charles had inherited a long and bitter feud with france about the burgundian dominions on the french side of the rhine and about domains in italy besides which there were many points of violent rivalry between things french and spanish england also 
had hereditary feuds with france which had come down from the hundred years war and which had ended in her almost final expulsion from france less than a century before scotland nursing old feuds against england and always afraid of absorption naturally sided with france portugal small and open to spanish invasion by land was more or less bound to please spain during the many campaigns between francis and charles the english channel swarmed with men of war privateers and downright pirates sometimes england took a hand officially against france but even when england was not officially at war many englishmen were privateers and not a few were pirates never was there a better training school of fighting seamanship than in and around the narrow seas it was a continual struggle for an existence in which only the fittest survived quickness was essential consequently vessels that could not increase their speed were soon cleared off the sea spain suffered a good deal by this continuous raiding so did the netherlands but such was the power of charles that although his navies were much weaker than his armies he yet was able to fight by sea on two enormous fronts first in the mediterranean against the turks and other moslems secondly in the channel and along the coast all the way from antwerp to cadiz nor did the left arm of his power stop there for his fleets his transports and his merchantmen ranged the coasts of both americas from one side of the present united states right round to the other such in brief was the position of maritime europe when henry found himself menaced by the three roman catholic powers of scotland france and spain in fifteen hundred and thirty three he had divorced his first wife catherine of aragon thereby defying the pope and giving offence to spain he had again defied the pope by suppressing the monasteries and severing the church of england from the roman discipline the pope had struck back with a bull of excommunication designed to make henry the common enemy of catholic europe henry had been steadily building ships for years now he redoubled his activity he blooded the fathers of his daughter's sea-dogs by smashing up a pirate fleet and sinking a flotilla of flemish privateers the mouth of the scheldt in fifteen hundred and thirty nine was full of vessels ready to take a hostile army into england but such a fighting fleet prepared to meet them that henry's enemies forbore to strike in fifteen hundred and thirty nine too came the discovery of the art of tacking by fletcher of rye henry's shipwright friend a discovery forever memorable in the annals of seamanship never before had any kind of craft been sailed a single foot against the wind the primitive dugout on which the prehistoric savage hoisted the first semblance of a sail the ships of tarshish the roman transport in which st paul was wrecked and the spanish caravels with which columbus sailed to worlds unknown were in principle of navigation all the same but now fletcher ran out his epoch-making vessel with sails trimmed fore and aft and dumbfounded all the shipping in the channel by beating his way to windward against a good stiff breeze this achievement marked the dawn of the modern sailing age and so it happened that in fifteen hundred and forty five henry with a new-born modern fleet was able to turn defiantly on francis the english people rallied magnificently to his call what was at that time an enormous army covered the lines of advance on london but the fleet though employing fewer men was relatively a much more important force than the army and with the fleet went henry's own headquarters 
his lifelong interest in his navy now bore the first fruits of really scientific sea-power on an oceanic scale there was no great naval battle to fix general attention on one dramatic moment henry's strategy and tactics however were new and full of promise he repeated his strategy of the previous war by sending out a strong squadron to attack the base at which the enemy's ships were then assembling and he definitely committed the english navy alone among all the navies in the world to sailing ship tactics instead of continuing those founded on the rowing galley of immemorial fame the change from a sort of floating army to a really naval fleet from galleys moved by oars and depending on boarders who were soldiers to ships moved by sails and depending on their broadside guns this change was quite as important as the change in the nineteenth century from sails and smooth boards to steam and rifled ordnance it was indeed from at least one commanding point of view much more important for it meant that england was easily first in developing the only kind of navy which would count in any struggle for over-sea dominion after the discovery of america had made sea-power no longer a question of coasts and landlocked waters but of all the outer oceans of the world the year that saw the birth of modern sea-power is a date to be remembered in this history for fifteen hundred and forty five was also the year in which the mines of potosi first aroused the old world to the riches of the new it was the year too in which sir francis drake was born moreover there was another significant birth in this same year the parole aboard the portsmouth fleet was god save the king the answering countersign was long to reign over us these words formed the nucleus of the national anthem now sung round all the seven seas the anthems of other countries were born on land god save the king sprang from the navy and the sea the reformation quickened sea-faring life in many ways after henry's excommunication every roman catholic crew had full papal sanction for attacking every english crew that would not submit to rome no matter how catholic its faith might be thus in addition to danger from pirates privateers and men of war an english merchantman had to risk attack by any one who was either passionately roman or determined to use religion as a cloak raids and reprisals grew apace the english were by no means always lambs in piteous contrast to the papal wolves rather it might be said they took a motto from this true russian proverb make yourself a sheep and you'll find no lack of wolves but rightly or wrongly the general english view was that the papal attitude was one of attack while their own was one of defence papal europe of course thought quite the reverse henry died in fifteen hundred and forty seven and the lord protector somerset at once tried to make england as protestant as possible during the minority of edward the sixth who was not yet ten years old this brought every english seaman under suspicion in every spanish port where the holy office of the inquisition was a great deal more vigilant and business-like than the custom-house or harbour-master inquisitors had seized englishmen in henry's time but charles had stayed their hand now that the ruler of england was an open heretic who appeared to reject the accepted forms of catholic belief as well as the papal forms of roman discipline the hour had come to strike war would have followed in ordinary times but the reformation had produced a cross division among the subjects of all the great powers if charles went to war with a protestant lord protector of england then some of his own subjects in the netherlands would probably revolt 
france had her huguenots england her ultra papists scotland some of both kinds every country had an unknown number of enemies at home and friends abroad all feared war somerset neglected the navy but the seafaring men among the protestants as among those catholics who were anti-roman took to privateering more than ever nor was exploration forgotten a group of merchant adventurers sent sir hugh willoughby to find the northeast passage to cathay willoughby's three ships were towed down the thames by oarsmen dressed in sky-blue jackets as they passed the palace at greenwich they dipped their colours in salute but the poor young king was too weak to come to the window willoughby met his death in lapland but chancellor his second-in-command got through to the white sea pushed on overland to moscow and returned safe in fifteen hundred and fifty four when queen mary was on the throne next year strange to say the charter of the new muscovy company was granted by philip of armada fame now joint sovereign of england with his newly married wife soon to be known as bloody mary one of the directors of the company was lord howard of effingham father of drake's lord admiral while the governor was our old friend sebastian cabot now in his eightieth year philip was crown prince of the spanish empire and his father charles v was very anxious that he should please the stubborn english for if he could only become both king of england and emperor of germany he would rule the world by sea as well as land philip did his ineffective best drank english beer in public as if he liked it and made his stately spanish courtiers drink it too and smile he spent spanish gold brought over from america and he got the convenient kind of englishmen to take it as spy money for many years to come but with it he likewise sowed some dragon's teeth the english sea-dogs never forgot the iron chests of spanish new world gold and presently began to wonder whether there was no sure way in far america by which to get it for themselves in the same year fifteen hundred and fifty five the marian attack on english heretics began and the sea became safer than the land for those who held strong anti-papal views the royal navy was neglected even more than it had been lately by the lord protector but fighting traders privateers and pirates multiplied the seaports were hotbeds of hatred against mary philip papal rome and spanish inquisition in fifteen hundred and fifty six sebastian cabot reappears genial and prosperous as ever and dances out of history at the sailing of the search thrift bound northeast for muscovy in fifteen hundred and fifty seven philip came back to england for the last time and manoeuvred her into a war which cost her calais the last english foothold on the soil of france during this war an english squadron joined philip's vessels in a victory over the french off gravelines where drake was to fight the armada thirty years later this first of the two battles fought at gravelines brings us down to fifteen hundred and fifty eight the year in which mary died elizabeth succeeded her and a very different english age began End of chapter two